Good morning. We are pressing ahead. This is my last sermon. We've kind of done a little, you know, side rabbit trail on uh, uh, sharing our faith. You know, the how, how are people going to believe if they don't hear the gospel? How are they going to hear the gospel if somebody's not preaching it to them? And how are they going to preach it to them if they're not sent? And then we've been talking about we're the sent ones. And so uh, this morning, though, I want to move away from talking about us individually to start uh, just taking a moment to look at us as a community and as a church and how God uses the community also in reaching the world for Christ. So we're in Acts chapter 2, verses 42 to 47. Hear then God's word. It says that they, the church, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayers. And all came upon every soul. Many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together, and they had all things in common, and they were selling their possessions and belongings. They were distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together, breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts. They were praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. Pray with me. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word. And we do believe it is living and true. And we ask that you, by your spirit, would uh, open our hearts and our minds and our lives to receive it. That we would not only hear it, but we would receive it with power. That it would shape our hearts and our thinking and our believing and our living. And that we would have a passion for the things that are described here. That your church might be indeed a rich witness, a city upon a hill that cannot be hid, that shows Christ to the world, in whose name we pray. Amen. John Stott says that the church lies at the very center of the eternal purpose of God. The church is God's new community. We live in a time where people uh, could take or leave the church. The church has fallen out of favor with a lot of folks, and I believe that's entirely biblically wrong. The church is God's thing. It's one reason I ended up in the ministry when I had no desire to be in the ministry was because I became convinced that the church is God's thing, that it's at the very center, biblically and theologically, the church is at the very center of God's eternal purpose in the world. That He is building His church and that He structures His church and He instructs His church through the Scripture. And because the church is at the very center of God's eternal purpose, that he is building this body, this family, that, that, that we have a corporate witness together of the truth of the gospel. In Matthew chapter 18, verse 20, it says that where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am among them. Jesus says He is uniquely present. When His people gather, He is uniquely present. Some have pointed out that the context of that statement is Matthew 18 and the context is church discipline. But what He is saying is that when you are gathered as a church and you need to do church discipline, understand that I am present and my authority is present. Where two or three are gathered doing the, the business of the church, there I am with them. And so I believe that it is just as true and is more true in all that we do when we're gathered. That when two or three, when we gather in His name, He says, there I am. 
uniquely present in the midst of my church. There's a unique expression or a manifestation of God's presence and authority, whether in discipline or in worship and His Word. When we are gathered as a community, the word church means gathered, literally, the gathered ones. And so in 1 Corinthians 3.16, Paul says, do you not know, do you not understand this, that you, plural, are God's temple? That you gathered, you together, you corporately are God's temple and that His Spirit dwells in you in a corporate sense? There are other verses that say this in terms of you as an individual. Don't you know that you, personally, individually, are a temple of the Holy Spirit? But he wants to also make the point that there is a unique way in which you, corporately and plural, are the temple where God is present. The nature of then the, commun- the church as a community, the nature of our communal life together is important. It's crucial. Who we are as a family, as a church. What do people experience when they come through our doors? And not just on a Sunday morning, yes, on a Sunday morning, but through our doors on a Sunday morning, but into the rest of the life of the church, into our small groups, into our homes, into our dinners, into our fellowships, into our studies. You know, what do people experience in us as a people? We have in this passage a glimpse of the early church. It's very early. This is Acts chapter 2. We're, we're on the, literally on the heels of Pentecost. You know, within uh, days, a couple of months of Jesus' resurrection. And here we have a glimpse into the early church and the aspects of the church's life. And we see how God is using the church to reach the lost. Because in the first verse that we just read, it talked about this community that is devoted to these things. And the last verse that we read talked about then how God was adding to their number daily those who are being saved. How through this communal life, God is growing the church. The first thing we see is that the church is a devoted community. Right? And that's what we see in verse 30, 42. And they, the church, God's people, were gathered together and they're devoted to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. And I believe that the devotion there is distributive. It's not just to the first thing in the list, but to the whole list. They were devoted to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship and to prayer and to the breaking of bread. They're devoted. It's a good word and it's a strong word. It's a devoted community. We're talking about devotion. It means to them what it meant to us underneath this word of devotion. But think for a moment, what does it mean to be devoted to something? Or to someone? You're devoted to your spouse, I hope. But I hope you're not devoted to anybody else the way you're devoted to your spouse. Right? There's a uniqueness there. What does it mean to be devoted to her, to him? Right? There is a, there is a, a, a focus on it, and the word can mean to occupy oneself diligently with something, to pay persistent attention to something, to hold fast to it, to cling to it, to persevere in it, to continually be in it. And it says the church is a devoted community, and it's devoted in this way to certain things that are at the center of the life, that shape the life and form the life of the community. The church's devotion is apparent to those who visit the church and bump into the church. It's apparent because the, the church is attractional. People are joining it. It says day by day that there is this regular 
connecting of people to the church because of the church's devoted communal life. So in verse 43, it says that after they voted these things, 43, and all came upon every soul. There was a sense of of God's presence, of, of God's work. You know, the sense of something bigger than individual people, that there, is a, that there is a community, that God is doing something. And so in verse 46, it says that day by day, they're, they're together in the temple and, and in their homes. And 47, they're praising God and they're having favor with all the people. And God is adding to the life. And so it is the church's communal life, its devotion to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship to the breaking of bread into prayer. That life was attractional. So let's look at them for a moment and understand how God uses these things to draw people into the life of the church. So the second thing we want to see then is the church is a Bible-centered community. That's the first thing that the church is devoted to, as it says. And I, I think that's important. They devoted themselves, pride of place, to the apostles' teaching. And I think that is important because everything else he says here is going to be shaped by that word, is defined by it, is demanded by it. You know, even as I do, if you do HPC 101 and we do doctrine, one of the things that we'll see is the first thing I do in the doctrine is talk about the Bible and tell you that it's God's word. And then I tell you that basically everything else I'm going to say in this class, everything I'm going to say in this thing, it's because we believe it's what the scripture says. If you don't see it in the scripture, don't believe it. Don't do it. Don't. You know, don't, because the scripture is what shapes what we believe and how we live. It defines all these things. And so, it's first, it has the pride of place as they were devoting themselves to, to the apostles' teaching, that is, to the word of God, that it was at the center of the devoted life of the community, both in the preaching of the word as part of their worship, but as in our church, it's going to be taught in our Sunday schools. There are Bible studies that meet throughout the week and small groups that are studying it. And we're going to encourage you in your personal times of worship, your quiet time with God, that, you're, that the Bible is at the center of that. That we are a community whose whole life is shaped by this word. Let me just make a, a note quick before I go on with that and to, and to notice that in verse 43, as it, and I believe it's tied to the apostles' teaching and what's going on here, that all came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. That is a unique, at least in my experience, um, uh, that's a unique expression of God's presence in the life of the church. These signs and wonders. But I believe, both biblically, that what we see is that those signs and wonders are actually God's testimony and witness, His imprint of His authority on the apostles' teaching. That He authenticates the Word of God by signs and wonders. So that as the, the, when we look at the Scripture, sometimes we think, you know, it's just miracles are happening all the time from Genesis to Revelation. And, but when you follow look at the Scripture, it really isn't that way. It covers thousands of years, and you really see, you see these signs and wonders at particular times. You saw them in the ministry of Moses. You know, Moses writes the first five books, the Torah, the foundation of all of Scripture. Moses writes those Scriptures, and he is a, the leader at that point in the church, and we see some signs and wonders that accompany his life in ministry and affirm and authenticate his word as God's word. 
We see it again in the ministry of just a couple of prophets. It wasn't all the time through, you know, you can read the Kings and the Chronicles and, you know, and you don't see miracles happening all the time except for in the lives of certain prophets who are speaking the word of God to God's people. It's being captured and inscripturated and becomes the scripture and God authenticates it. This is what Hebrews chapter 2 tells us, that that miracles, that the, the word was originally given by the Lord and then God testified to it through signs and wonders. And so that's what's going on here is these apostles are teaching and they're new on the scene. The New Testament has not been written. But as the apostles are they're devoting themselves to this teaching, God testifies to the authority of it, the truth of it, to his ownership of it through these signs and wonders. Now the church then are people who are devoted to this word that God himself authenticates. We're a community that is centered on and submitted to the Word. That's why we preach it and there's a sense in which we sit under it. That it judges us and that it teaches us and that it calls us. And we conform our lives to what it says. We are obedient to it. The Spirit of God, who inspired the Scriptures, the Spirit of God leads the people of God to love and submit to the Word of God. Which again, the Spirit Himself inspires and illuminates. This is at the center of his work, in the center of the life of the church. And so the church's corporate witness, hear me on this, that, that the church's corporate witness is the cumulative effect of God's spirit and God's word shaping each of your lives. Right? The church's overall and corporate witness is going to be, in a sense, the cumulative effect of the word of God and the spirit of God shaping your life as a follower of Christ, shaping you in the form of the Word to incarnate what is taught here and told here, that we become more like Jesus that is revealed here. And as each one of you submits to that Word, is shaped by that Word, and loves that Word, and as we then become a community living that together, there is a unique witness. In 1 Timothy 3.15, Paul writes, and he says, I'm writing the things that I'm writing to you so that you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, right? which is the church of the living God. Right? And he said, I'm writing these words. So the scripture, he says, is being written so that you, people of God, know how to behave as a household of God, how to be the people of God, his family and that's why it's being written and so it stands at the center of the community so that we know how to be his people the word shapes our community as we know the word as we love the word as the word shapes and transforms us we are a light to the world a city on a hill that can't be hid because we embody Right? And we shine out the truth that is in here because it shapes us and we love it. And we are living it and following it and serving it. You know, the world is looking for sincerity. It is looking for authenticity. The world is, right at this moment more than any time I've ever seen, I even grew up in the you know, late 70s or whatever and you had the bumper sticker, Question Authority. Right? And there's sort of a little lull, you know, those bumper stickers have gone away. But I feel like we're back. 
right? Question authority, you know, whether it's the government, you know, or whether it's the church, you know, even the church has fallen into disfavor. People, you know, they like Jesus, but they're not so sure about the church, and there are a lot of folks who are not quite as connected to anymore, and they're just, why is that? It's because they're looking for sincerity and authenticity, and they're not seeing it. People leave the church and they often avoid the church because of the hypocrisy of God's people. And if you ask the people on the street, you know, if you ask why aren't, you know, what do you think about the church? Why don't you go to, what, is you, what do you think about the church? One of the top answers you're going to get is hypocrisy. It's one reason that Jesus was so hard, and we talked about this a few weeks ago, that Jesus was so hard on the church people of his day, the religious people when he came. He was hardest on them because of the hypocrisy. And he talked about it. You're whitewashed on the outside, but inside you're full of dead men, bone and rot. There's a hypocrisy between what you show the world and who you really are. And this is a problem for the witness of the church. Russell Moore a writer, a commentator, a leader in the church of our day says that many people are rejecting the church not because they disapprove of Jesus or his teachings, but because they read the Bible and they no longer believe that the church is actually following Jesus. In other words, they don't see the Bible-centered community that our lives are shaped by, submitted to, and following, and actually in some ways reflecting the character of Christ. They do not see a Bible-shaped church. They see sexual scandals everywhere they look. They see greed and pride. They see self-righteousness. They see bickering. Oh, how the church has been bickering the last couple of years. How much damage has it done to us? Our witness. When they look at the church and you can't get along on whatever it is. The bickering, the judgment, the politics, the cliques. My friends, it's not attractive. It's just not attractive. They can find that anywhere. They don't need to join a church for that. For the church to be attractional, we need to be repenting of that list and praying for the unity of the Spirit and the bonds of peace where our communal life reflects the presence and power of the Spirit of God leading the people of God into a glad submission and conformity to the Word of God. And where we individually and corporately follow Jesus and His Word, there is a united and powerful witness to the truth of the Gospel. But they need to see it in the church. Church is a Bible-centered community. The church also manifests a unique fellowship, and we see it in that next word when it says that they're devoted to, first and foremost, to the apostles' teaching, but secondly, to the fellowship. Now, the fellowship there is an important, rich, deep, powerful, biblical word. One reason you know that is that it's in this list right between the apostles' teaching and prayer. Right? And so whatever it is, it's important. Right? It's it's It's... It's nestled into the core life of the community with God's Word and prayer. Too often we reduce this idea of fellowship. We've truncated the idea of fellowship in the life of the church to basically anything that Christians do together. Whether we're watching sports or we're just grabbing a meal together, you know, or we're hanging out and playing games or whatever, we say we're going to have some fellowship. But are we really? What does it even mean to have fellowship? Is it anything that two Christians do together? 
is fellowship? I would suggest to you that it can be, maybe. It's a very truncated and little idea of something that is much bigger than all of that. Koinonia involves relational, spiritual, and material sharing of, of life. It's, it's, an, it's an integration and a sharing of a communal life together, a certain kind of life, a biblically shaped one. 1 John 1.3 says this, Paul, John is writing, they often tell you why they're writing, I'm writing so that you too may have fellowship with us. Right? Writing to these other Christians that they may have koinonia, that's the word underneath the word fellowship there, that you may have koinonia with us. And he says, and our koinonia is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus. Which gives you the sense it's a little bit more, you know, than watching the Super Bowl together. Right? That if this koinonia with the Father and the Son. In fact, in 1 Corinthians 10, 16, it says this. The cup, it's about communion, which we're about to take. And it says, the cup of blessing that we bless, is it not this cup? Is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? The word translated participation is koinonia. Right? But they go for another word to try to capture this idea. What does it mean to have fellowship? Is not this cup that we're about to drink together a koinonia with the very blood of Christ? Right? There's a connection, a shared life. Right? So it's a rich word that aims at something. In other words, it's not just a friendship. It's a spiritual friendship. If, if I were to define it, I might say it's actually sharing and pursuing life in Christ together. And specifically, it's, it's the sharing and pursuing of a life in Christ together, which is a unique and rich and powerful thing when we pursue Him in that life together. My friends, we live in a cynical world. Talk is cheap, and people know it. They know it now as much or more than they ever had, and the world is looking for authenticity. And another reason that people are turned off by the church is they look and they see a fractured church with petty infighting and division and politics and all this stuff that's going on, and they're like, where's Jesus in there? In this community, what difference does he make in all of these things? What is it that unites us? What is it that bonds us together in the unity of the Spirit and the bonds of peace? I believe one of the ways that we know, one of the, 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 what describes fellowship in this koinonia in the New Testament are all the one another passages. You've heard of those, love one another, care for one another, uh, pray for one another, confess your sins one to another, bear one another's burdens. All of those are koinonia. Right? They're, they're an involvement they're with, with the people in your life of church. Pray for one another. It's an involvement with them. It's, it's confess your sins one to another. It's, it's pursuing Christ spiritually together to, to bear one another's burdens. You know, to, this is the, the shared life of the church community that is koinonia. And what will break the cynicism of the world is the love of Christ incarnate in His people sharing this kind of life. Where we're repenting together and confessing our sins together and, and caring for one another and bearing each other's burdens. Material and spiritual and every other way. John 17, 21, Jesus prayed and He said, 
that he's praying, being written, so that they may all be one, that the church, that his followers would all be one, that they would be united in the unity of the Spirit and the bonds of peace. Why? So that the world may believe that you've sent me. Right? It is, it is central to our witness. If people look on and they do not see the truth of the word embodied in the life of the people, they will be cynical about us and about our Christ. As we love each other and as we love those whom God brings through our doors, people will be drawn to Christ and drawn to faith. And to the degree to which the church is fractured and lacking the unity of the Spirit and the church loses its saltiness. You know, that, that's that image that Jesus uses of, of the, 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 the attractional, I think, the tastiness of the church. We, we lose our saltiness to the degree that we don't embody those things as a community. And these are the lists of things that I've talked about are the things we should be repenting of and uniting around Christ and the truth and the community that He calls us and He makes us one. He doesn't say, create the unity of the Spirit. He says, keep the unity that I've given you in the pouring out of my Spirit and knitting you together as a household of God. Keep it. Don't lose it. Don't break it. And repent of those things that bring division. Jesus said in John 13, 35, by this all people will know. By what? The list of things you believe? This is how they're going to know that you're his disciples. You believe these five things. Or this is how you know you're his disciples. You, you do these five things. You go to church on Sunday and you... How, does, how are people going to know? Right? Jesus only said there's one way. He didn't give a... He didn't, I don't, I'm not aware of anywhere else he said. Here he says, this, people are going to know you're my disciples because you have a unique communal life together. You love each other in ways that are supernatural and spiritual. You pray for one another and confess to one another and confess your sins together and follow Jesus together and you bear each other's burdens and you forgive one another. And, you... and that's how they know. Devotion to koinonia is a tangible love for each other that is a great part of our witness. We're a Bible-centered community. We're devoted to the, to the Scripture and we're devoted to the koinonia. And so I ask, are you devoted to that kind of life and repenting of those things that break it? The church is also a worshiping community. You see, as verse 42 finishes up, they're devoted to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, but also to the breaking of the bread, which most commentators, and myself included, you know, he broke the bread and he gave thanks and he gave it to his disciples as communion and prayer. And what we have described in these four words, in many ways, is simply a worship service. They devoted themselves, and this is the shape of their worshiping life. The apostles' teaching and this koinonia that we share this morning, if we have gathered to pursue Christ together, to hear His Word together, to be shaped by it together, to repent where we need to repent as God works in us together. As we pursue this life together in prayer and sharing this meal, we are the household of God and, and it's family supper night. As we gather together around the table, 
And so we're a worshiping community, and these four things come together to describe that. And it says they were meeting in verse 46. Day by day, they're attending the temple together. That's formal corporate worship. You might be surprised they're going to temple. I don't know that you know that this early, this is very early, like I said, like right after Pentecost, and thousands of people are coming to Christ, and they haven't figured out that there's something separate. They're following, they're believing in the Jewish Messiah. They haven't figured out that there's something separate yet, and the Jews haven't figured out that they don't belong anymore yet. And for a time, you've got this sect of Judaism that they're a little off, but they're worshiping in the temple. Time will come when everybody figures out they're going to have to do that somewhere else. But for now, they continue to gather in large, says, you know, Pentecost, 3,000 in, 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 in a day. Right? The Lord was building His church and laying His foundation in, in mass. So you got thousands of them gathering in the temple, but it says also in homes, breaking bread. Now, I don't know, you're not going to get very uh, thousands in my house. <laughs> right? So when we got a large group here, we got corporate worship, they're gathering and doing this, but they're also doing small groups in their homes because that's all that's going to fit in your home, and they're doing it. They're, that fellowship get, breaks down into small groups, into the community, into our homes, into small Bible studies where they're devoted to these things. Hebrews thirteen fifteen says, Through Him, that is through Christ, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God that is the fruit of lips that acknowledge His name. I'm saying now, singing's not in the list. But I think all of those things, in a sense, assume Old and New Testament, that's the singing, but this, the praise, it said, with glad and generous hearts, they're praising God. I would say that's, that's song. But my point is this, it is our community. Um, I, I often encourage us to sing our hearts out. I would say there's a double entendre there. Number one, if it's in your heart, sing it out. Right? Shouldn't stay in there. People shouldn't come in to the life of the community and we're mumbling about things that we say you know, are important to us. And we say, you know, this is glad and generous hearts and they're praising God and we're like praising God and mumbling under our breath. You know, is your, is your head lifted? Is your voice, right? If it's in here, sing it out. And then, you know, as, as I think it was Martin Luther who used the word, we should sing lustily. It's Luther or Wesley, one of the two. And I kind of like that, to sing lustily. Is it saying, is this if you're going to sing, sing. What are you singing about? But I say this in terms of the way we worship. We live in a cynical world. Do you believe what you're saying? Do you believe what you're singing? Is there what's in there and is it coming out? And is there somebody walks in the door? And I, I would say this, don't underestimate the power and the impact of a worshiping community. I, I didn't grow up going to church. I had very little church experience in my life before I was 18 and came to Christ, was coming to Christ. And I, for the first time, went to a church. I started off in Pentecostal church, so you can even imagine at that level. But walking into a worshiping community, these people who loved each other and loved the Lord and who worshiped with their, sang their hearts out and made a joyful noise unto the Lord and being in the midst of that people as the Lord was showing me who Christ was. And there is a power, there is a witness as people come in and see we are a worshiping people. Now some may find it strange. Others whom the Lord is at work in will find it attractional and powerful. And they'll experience not just our singing or whatever, they will experience the presence of God Himself who is in the midst of His people. 
When we gather like this, there's an undeniable, unavoidable sense of something that is bigger than ourselves. And as the church worships with all of its heart, and as we are a worshiping community, often what people will experience is Christ Himself. Finally, let me say that we are also a welcoming community. I like the way that it's summarized in verses 46 and 47, describing the church. And day by day, they're gathering, they're attending the temple and worshiping together, and they're breaking bread in their homes, and smaller groups are having communion and shared fellowship. And it says they receive their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God, having favor with the people, with the community, with those that are around, and the Lord is adding to their number. What a beautiful picture. Summarizes the witness of the community. It says that we're a church that is marked by glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with... Can you imagine as a church having such a profound and attractional effect on the community and those who would, who would come into our midst? Seeing glad and generous hearts, praising God, living this communal life shaped by the Word of God, authentically and genuinely submitting to it and, and seeking to live lives that are pleasing to Him and honoring to Him, sharing a koinonia and a communal life together that is full of His presence and this gladness and generosity, which we're going to see is quite physical. As we say, the koinonia is, is expressed in the passage. And look at... I skipped over this, we'll touch it. And so in 44 it says, all who believed were together, like, all right, so the church is gathered. And they had all things in common and they were selling their possessions and their belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as they had need. This is not communism. Government has not taken their private property and distributed it to everybody else, whether you like it or not. It's not even the church doing that. The church didn't take their property and distribute it. it it's this passage about the private ownership and how people who believed and knew and loved God, hearts were opened and they were generous. What's described here is mercy and generosity and kindness. That's what's described. Out of the abundance of their possessions. Their privately owned possessions. Right? There's an abundance of generosity, of making sure no one is hungry. That nobody is going without. That they, where's a community? This is the koinonia. And it's, it's this, can you imagine a community where we're living these things out in such a way that, it, that you have favor with all the people. There's an impact on the community and God is, is bringing people into our fellowship day by day. God works when the church is devoted to being the church. God is working when they are devoted to these important things to this communal life together. And when we are, God works, making His appeal through us, shining His light on the world around us. Are we devoted to these things? Are you devoted to this life in the church? You know, I believe that those who come through our doors are those whom God brings us. I have strong views on God's sovereignty. And I believe when somebody comes through our doors, God brought them here. Now, they may just be passing through, and there may be a lot of reasons of what God is doing, but I believe if they come through that door, they're my responsibility. They're your responsibility. 
that God is bringing people into our midst. He's adding to their number day by day. God did it, it says. You know, it doesn't say, and they were adding people. You know, it, it's so clear and so beautiful that God added. God is at work in the middle of this. We need to be a community that is constantly making room for new people. First here in our sanctuary and making sure that there's room for people to sit. You see somebody come in, move over and make room for them. Like literally make room for them. You see all the empty seats are in the middle. This is why I say when your sanctuary is 80% full, you're full. Why? Because all the seats that are left are in the front and in the middle. And nobody can get to them. Who's new and visiting the church wants to come and sit here? They don't. You don't want to sit there either, but you're more comfortable. You know me better than that. So you can come sit down here. But the idea, too, that we're moving in toward the middle. Maybe you start on the end, but if you see it's filling up, move in. Right? We, make, we literally make room for people. and Don't make them crawl across us or go into the overflow room because they couldn't get to a seat. Right? That, that's part of being welcoming. If you came to my house, I would make sure you had somewhere to sit. Right? And, and this is hospitality, and I do believe this is our house. He just said we are the household of God. And HPC is one expression of that, where we're a family, and this is our home. Right? This is our, we, talk, we even call it, this is our church home. So if somebody comes to my house, I make sure they have somewhere to sit. I make sure that they have something to eat. I make sure they know where the bathroom is. Right? I talk to them. How many times have people come to church and they said, I visited that church and nobody talked to me? How can that happen? My friends. Now I'm going to say this, because what I hear from most people are, are that we do this pretty well. So I want this in one way to be an encouragement, that we're a welcoming community, and so many that have come in have said that they have felt very welcome, and that's why they're still here. And we do this well, but I'm going to call for all of us. We're all, in a sense, deputized as a welcoming committee, right, of making sure people know where their kids need to go or if they need a bathroom or do you need a place to sit. Let me get up and move. Let me get up and go down front. You can have my seat, right, that we, it is, God brought them here. It is our job to make sure they feel welcome here. Do you know that people go where they feel welcome? It's just that simple. People come in, they don't feel welcome. You know, I've gotten letters like that through the not recently, which is another testimony to how well you do do this already. But I've gotten some really interesting letters. <laughs> Lord knows. Came to your church, not one person spoke to me. I came three weeks in a row. I'll never come back. <laughs> you know, may it never be. Church dinners, Sunday morning, Wednesday nights. If we want God to use us. See, God is at work. It says they were devoted to these things. They were living these things. They were practicing these things. And while they did, as a welcoming, glad, and generous community, looking out for the needs of others, God worked. They were a city on a hill that could not be hid. He did it through their devotion to his word and through the practical love of the community and through the gathered worship of his people and the glad and generous hearts that were expressed. May God help us to be devoted to the right things. See, we're devoted to a lot of things, my friend. And there are most of them distractions. And the question does come down, are we devoted to these things and longing for God to use us so that he would add in, bring those who are coming to know Jesus. May he give us a heart for those who need a home in Christ. That we would open our hearts and our doors and be that kind of community. Pray with me.
Father in heaven, we thank you for your love for us and your mercy towards us. Thank you that you have made us part of something bigger than ourselves. That you have made us part of your household. Part of your family. That you've knit us together as a community. You've poured out your spirit and given us a unity in that spirit in the bonds of peace. Oh, will you lead us to repentance that we may live it in such ways that it is making Jesus beautiful and attractive in the way that he is manifest in our lives of obedience and worship. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.